Well, welcome to church. I feel like it's already been a very good morning and a um, hundred bonus points to everyone. I don't know if they're doing dawn services at the moment, but, but I feel like you've really put it out to revere the Anzacs uh, by doing a dawn service and what we did in church this morning. But I'm thankful for an opportunity that we had to be able to honour it and also acknowledge the Salvo's uh, contribution in a very practical way to the wars. Um, my name is Rihanna, for those who don't know. Uh, and I, this week, am starting a new series at church. And now, I'm not going to give you too much context because maybe we're a bit more pressed for time. But um, we're picking up um, our year's vision is wholehearted. And maybe you've all seen your custom stickers this week, bigger and better every week. Um, but um, we're picking up this story of David. And um, King David is well known through the Bible. David and Goliath, for those who don't know the Bible, is that very same David. But um, David is this character in the Old Testament who I feel like when you read his story and learn more about him, he's somebody that everyone can kind of like relate to. He has these like great ups and these like wonderful moments of successes. And then he has these like really tragic failures and downs that is just kind of like speaks into the human condition that we all experience. You know, we don't have this really smooth trajectory of life and we don't have this really linear measure of success or, or anything like that. But he's, um, he goes up and he goes down and along through the Bible, we're kind of here for all of it. Excuse me. And um, but what he's marked for, and what he's known as, and chosen by God, is that he has a heart after God. And God says that um, David is a man after his own heart, and that is what marks him. And it's not his successes that mark him. It's not his failures that marks him. But it's that the condition of his heart. And what we want to kind of explore, not just as this kind of like lesson to be learned, but we want to be able to open an opportunity for people to analyse their own hearts and think that if it weren't for my successes and my failures don't count, what is the condition of heart that I stand before the Lord with? And so we want to kind of unpack that a little bit with everyone and I'm opening up. And so we're starting in the um, book of 1 Samuel in chapter 16. And this is like such a good story because if you've never read the Bible before, you can pick up this story, you can understand what it means and you kind of already get this like affinity towards David and you kind of understand understand who he is as a character and it's almost like a nice little sugary story that fits that narrative of like a nice bow and you kind of think yes the underdog you see him get chosen but if you are new to the Bible it makes sense but if you are somebody who studies the Bible each and every day you could just stay in this story forever I think and the more you unpack it and the more you take a look at the context of it and the background of it the more and more gritty it kind of gets and the more you understand about God, about yourself, about David, and um, about this story of Jesus. And so as I kind of read you the scripture, I just want to kind of give a little bit of um, maybe like annotations um, as we go along instead of just like reading it and then getting some points out of it. So let me read it to you and I'll give you a little um, insight as we read it. So I'm reading from the NIV and from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? And so I guess I probably should give some context for Saul. So Saul is this king that Israel chose. He was like this great warrior. He was of good stature. They chose him and he, um, in essence, mightily fails the people. He turned into somebody they didn't originally think. He was a bit of a um, toxic character in the Bible. And um, we see the last chapter of, the, of this story 
um, conclude by the Lord telling Samuel, who was a prophet of God, somebody who was um, who heard from the Lord and gave directions to the people based on what he heard. Um, the Lord said, you're not going to see Saul again. And so the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for, for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And again, this speaks to that toxic character that Saul is. And, you know, if Saul hears of treason from Samuel, he will in fact kill him. So Samuel is going like in fear and concern. And the Lord says, take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint the one, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of this town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And I think we hear of Samuel as this prophet and this man who, he, who hears from God and he would have been a big deal amongst the people. And yet he wasn't, as we see here, kind of seen as like this celebrity or this great guy coming to like deliver the good news. They're fearful and they're saying, do you come in peace? And a little bit of context for this is like two, two um, verses before this chapter starts. We um, read of Samuel in, verse, um, in chapter 15, verse 33, and it says, Samuel said to this guy, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord. And I feel like that gives you, Jack said, you're not going to actually read that. I was like, the people have to know Samuel's not a saint. <laughs> And so that is this same guy who's coming to this town of Bethlehem. All the elders are like, oh my goodness. Jesse, this guy who has eight sons, is like, oh my goodness, don't come to my house. And here Samuel is arriving at his house saying, you get your sons ready. I'm going to pick one of them. And Samuel, Jesse would just be like, oh my gosh. But um, Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come. Collective exhale. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Fear? But he's got a heifer, so they know it's not um, sacrifice of a child. Samuel continues to say, Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And it's easy for us to just read consecrate as this like hype word in the Bible. But what it really means is to be set aside. And practically what that would mean in this story is that all of the sons would have their feet washed. They would be washed their garments would be washed and then they would begin to prepare this heifer to be sacrificed and prepared for a feast. And so this isn't a five minute affair where some holy water gets splashed or a prayer gets said. This is a, um, a long kind of moment that happens for all of these eight sons and Jesse to be consecrated. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, who was the oldest of the sons and thought, surely this Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord because Eliab was tall in stature. He looked like a warrior, looked kind of like what Saul resembled, you know, that kind of like definitely worthy of a king kind of vibe. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I feel like that, I feel like you could finish any sermon there and just like all of us be reassured not to look at ourselves, not to look at other people, not to look at leaders in the church with these um, 
like perception of what we see with our own eyes, but to always remember that God is looking inside at the condition of our hearts at all times and we have absolutely no platform to judge or make um, decisions from. But Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? (laughs) There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And now the reason I brought up the thing about consecration taking a long time and the whole town kind of talking about Samuel coming is because this moment here, a time where everybody is talking, everybody's preparing, it's like a bit of the town news kind of thing. Fear was brought up in Jesse, but still through all of that, Jesse thinks so lowly of his youngest that he doesn't even invite him in to be consecrated. He doesn't invite him into the feast. He doesn't even mention him by name when Samuel asks about him. But Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Yes, David. I feel like I read that. I'm like, David is good enough to be king. And so we see David here. You can just imagine this really stark contrast of David coming in from tending the sheep. And they said of that time that you could tell a good shepherd because he would smell like his sheep because the main kind of like role of a shepherd would be to spend time with his sheep and move with the flock and rest with the flock and just like make sure that they're all okay. And so here David arrives, the youngest of eight sons, eight sons who have been washed tended to, expectant, hopeful that they were going to be anointed as the new king and probably disgruntled, confused and annoyed that David just got brought in, their younger son that they don't even consider to really be a part of the close-knit family. And he's just standing there not knowing what was happening or why he was there. But the Lord continues in verse 12 to say, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, which is the first time that he's called by name. And then Samuel went to Ramah. And so that's the scripture that we're kind of dealing with. You can understand where you think that it's like really sugary when the young boy just gets pulled out of the the, um, company of the sheep and gets chosen as the underdog. But in reality, it was this terrible story where David was rejected by his own earthly father, but then called out by by the Lord himself and anointed. And from that moment, that anointing, David's life and his course of his life completely changes because God chose him for that work. And the theme that I'm speaking on this morning is chosen. And I think it's easy for us to add a lot of like, drama and theatre around this word chosen, like you want to be like the chosen one. And if you're like got like this great job or this great position, you're the chosen one for that. And it all like adds a, li- adds a little bit of drama, feels a little bit um, hard to access, things like that. You're very special. But I want to speak into the power of actually being chosen as a human. And I think that It's so interesting and I've just been so stuck on this idea that as humans, we can choose to get pregnant, 
We can choose to go down avenues of having a baby, but you can never actually choose the child that you have. Children are born with personalities and attributes and different features that we can never actually choose. And I think that that actually really affects our human condition. I think that we're born into this life where parents can choose to love us or parents just do love us and they nurture us and they care for us. But we have this inherent thought that we are never actually chosen to be there. And I feel like that permeates in this relational culture that we kind of have where we want to be chosen as friends and we want to be picked for someone's sporting team and probably most significantly in our culture we want to be picked as somebody's spouse and we want someone to choose us and not just choose us for that event that's the wedding but we want them to choose us every single day after that because it affirms something so deep inside us that I think that we're all kind of longing to do and that kind of like we always have that question mark around, are we good enough? Would If you could choose any child in the world, would you choose me kind of thing? And that, as we see in the, in the human state of all of us, we're constantly um, seeking affirmation, even if it's in wholesome and, you know, kind of not toxic ways. We're always looking for that. We want people to want to talk to us and we want people to see us and be known and be chosen for where we're kind of at. And I think that... That's what we see here in David, that not only was he not put forward as a potential king, he was deliberately excluded by his father from a chance to actually have this anointing and this promise on his life. And it kind of just makes me wonder, the more I thought about this like dystopia that we're born into, I wonder how much all of us actually carry that as damage and burdens that we've never actually felt like we're enough for our humanly family, for our community around us, in our friendships, in our marriage. And studies are super fast to show us that those feelings present in ways that are maybe a little bit more palatable in our society. And that's perfectionism, self-doubt, self-harm, substance abuse, desire for control, uh, an inclination to always be apologising and... uh, um, the constant comparison between us and other people in our lives. And I just think that David would be so predisposed to this if the Lord hadn't interrupted his life and he hadn't actually had that encounter with him. I think David would be heading towards a trajectory where he would instantly go into that submissive position. He would never want to think that he had this self-worth of being um, a chosen child or anything like that. And so I feel like this kind of internalised hurt that I guess that I'm alluding to here, it shouldn't be too shocking for most of us when we see that we live in this society that is built largely on greed and insecurity and longing for power and things like that. We have this like hierarchy of people who we think are important. But just like David, through our, we, um, the scriptures say that we have two births, one through the natural, dystopia, and one through faith in Jesus Christ. We're just like David, we're extracted out of this ordinary life where we have a set trajectory, where we're up against the odds and we're confronted by this confusing and enormous and crazy life-changing opportunity to engage in a new life where we get to start our foundations there and then by knowing that just as we are, the condition that we're in, the place that we came from, dirty and stinky, just like David, we're seen and we're chosen and we're actually sought out. 
And I feel like that would be something that not many people would just accept lightly because we're not conditioned that way in the natural. But when we put our faith in Christ, the Scriptures say that we're born again. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. And instead of this foundation of wanting to be approved of and wanting to be chosen and hoping to be liked, it's like this foundation of sin and insecurity. We have Christ living in us. And the Bible says that through Him that we can actually do all things. And maybe the inner skeptic in you, like me, would be like, well, I can't go out and lift a car and I can't like, you know, do this and this, but that's on you, (laughs) those who doubt. Um, But... What it does mean, and this has been something that has been so encouraging to me as I started this new life with Christ where I have this Bible that is alive and active that speaks words of encouragement and truth into me. I have been so encouraged to know that through Christ we can do all things. You can retrain for a job at your age. You can repair relationships. You can beat addictions. You can form new habits. You can overcome infertility. You can speak health into your life. You can overcome the reputation that you once had. You can do all things because just like David, you have been sought out, you have been chosen and you have been anointed with a promise in your life that is for good and not harm and is for to live in the supernatural with this new life where the old is gone and the new is here. Amen. <laughs> um, the clap got me. <laughs> Don't do it again. Just joking. Um, um, And the other thing that is like super important to know is that we have the promise through Jesus and maybe like you guys have all heard it that like when you die, you go to heaven kind of thing. And that's been like a bit of a consolation in the background of your life. But, and that's something that probably when people are dying, you want to be able to offer as a consolation. But just like David, he didn't go on to be king for another 15 years after this encounter happened. And he still was marked by that moment where God interrupted him. And he changed the trajectory of his life and he lived differently because he lived with hope and expectancy that he would in fact be on that throne one day. And we have to do the same as Christians and as people who have a promise for the future. We should live in a way that says we have and we trust in a bigger promise on our lives. David knew that the days of his life would actually get harder before they would get better and he would receive that promise. Like you saw at the start of the scripture where Samuel was like, I'm not going to go and talk to Jesse. Saul's going to kill me. But David is the one who's going to overthrow him from the throne. Surely he would know that it's going to get messy. It's going to get gross. It's going to get controversial before he actually becomes king. And for us, the promise is the same. It's no secret that before we get to heaven, we have to die. And for us, we're always heading towards death. That's so morbid to say. I'm trying to say it with a smile so it's not so terrifying. But we're always decaying. Life is going to get messy before we receive that promise. We're going to go through grief. We're going to mourn loved ones. We're going to struggle with things that we don't understand. We're going to see tragedies. We're going to see trauma. But we live with the hope and the expectancy that the promise does in fact live beyond us. And then, I don't know I'm struggling so much to talk. Um, But 
This was the thought that really challenged me, that while we are on a constant journey of death and decay, we are marked by hope and we are to be the light bringers for those around us. While we are still on the earth, it's not our job just to put our heads down until we get to that moment where we can die and be with our Heavenly Father. We're here not to seek affirmation from those in the world. We're here to shine light on the one who brings true acceptance to all. We're to point to the one who seeks in a small town, in a big family, despite the odds, the one that reaches down to the one who's still with the sheep, the one who's still dirty, the one who's still unworthy, the one who hasn't gone through the correct steps. We're here to shine light to Jesus for them, for them to know that they are in fact chosen no matter what their past looks like, no matter how rejected they've been in the past. And if that is us, it's our job to receive that and accept that and live in the truth of hope and expectancy. And then once we have that, we live in a way that serves others and points others to the true King, And then to kind of like wrap up and to conclude this deep analogy about birth and new life that I have just been unable to shake from my head in the last few weeks, I just want to address the last kind of likeness between new birth in the natural and in the supernatural, because it's a really hard one to understand. And I think that the term like born again Christians might have a lot of um, stigma and things around it and the the scriptures even say it's really hard to understand what a new birth actually looks like but the last likeness that I want to draw towards is that for a child to receive new life in the natural it first must be separated from its mother and I feel like talking about birth always make mums sad so just like work with me (laughs) mums but it's a process that is beautiful and miraculous and mysterious But undoubtedly, it carries trauma and pain and um, all of these things that that don't sound beautiful and miraculous. It comes through pushing and struggling and tears and emotions. And it's actually this from old life to new life. It's actually the start of the isolation between those two parties and the journey that the baby is walking to become independent and to become standing on their own two feet. So here they have to be separated from the way that they were learning to eat and exist and sleep and all these things. And then they step out during this really terrible extraction and learn all of these things over and over again. And so for birth to occur, for new life to occur, birth must happen. And for birth to happen, there must be painful separation. But in our life, And in this new birth that the scriptures talk about, there is separation and there is the trauma, but it's not for us to do and it's not for us to carry because our life in Jesus is marked by our spiritual birth. And the separation occurred not through us, but through Jesus. And Jesus left the Father in this painful and traumatic way that resulted in this deep isolation But through that darkness came the light and the life for all those who believe in Him. And so may we receive, as we think about our new life and our new birth and the fact that we are never to look for affirmation and inclusion from people, but to always rest in the security that is being chosen by God. May we receive the anointing with the unworthiness and the confusion as David may have. But may we boldly walk on with the hope and assurance for the promises in our future and have a faith in a God that we one day will see, we will come face to face with. 
May we walk with hope and expectancy and may we, may we be a people marked by hope. So let me pray for you all now. It's 11.02, so will we have a song after? Okay, no. <laughs> we've, we've done four songs. <laughs> you can listen to Spotify on the way home. <laughs> but let me pray for you. Let me bless you. And as we start this series, let me encourage you that you are included, you are seen through nothing of your own worthiness, through no trauma of your past determines whether or not you are worth being chosen, worth being sought out, worth being loved. There's no work you can do to include or exclude yourself. It's all through the separation and isolation that Christ went from His Father. So Lord, I just pray that as we seek You for the, um, for the first time in this series, God, You would put in us a security in our heart, Lord, that we would be marked in our society and in our culture as people who are secure in You, Lord. And as we look to things like social science and studies, God, You would assure us that the truths we read over ourselves are not definite, they are not conclusive, God, but there is new life and new hope and new promises when we are born again into the Kingdom of God. Lord, may we each receive... Um, at the anointing from you as David did, that the Holy Spirit would be powerfully upon each of us as we mark this day with a new trajectory in our life, Lord, that we walk towards the kingdom of light. We affect those around us, God. We examine the own condition of our heart. We are deeply transformed and changed every time we consider that we are chosen. I pray that um, the people in this, in this room would be anointed as the bringers of light. And as we go, we would be able to point all people to Jesus, our wonderful Saviour. He who did what we could never do. And he who could earn the love from the Father. Stand righteously before Him and be able to include us in that promise, God. Thank you for your word that is alive and active. May it change and transform each of us as you renew our minds, God. We love you and we pray in your precious and saving name. Amen.